0: Uh, Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for how you have fashioned us here today. We ask you, Lord, to bless this time. We ask that the Holy Spirit would do things that we did not imagine. And we pray that you change us and make us look more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to have you here today. Uh, We have been traveling through the book of Revelation, a book that oftentimes people are afraid of because they don't want to know how the world ends. And oftentimes we think of this book as a scary book, but the Bible, it actually in the beginning of Revelation, it says if you read these words and you would even read them out loud, the Bible says there's actually a blessing in just going through the book of Revelation to know how things pan out, to know how the world gets consumed in God's will. The word revelation means to uh, apocalyptos, to be revealed, to be seen. And so what Jesus is wanting to do in this book is he's wanting to have us to see the unseen. He's wanting to have our hope anchored in the future. And when you look in Revelation 4 and 5, what's interesting is that it shows us what happens in the end. What happens in the end is kind of like if you watch a movie and they give you like a foreshadowing of how things will all end. Well, in Revelation 4, John gets a vision of what all of life will be at the very end. And in four and five, what we see is something less than what we often think of heaven as kind of this extended vacation or it's uh, kind of like Bahamas all day kind of thing. And what we want is we want to see grandma again and we want to see old friends and we want to rest. And that is true. There will be rest in heaven and we will see people we haven't seen. But that does not define heaven. Actually, there is an activity that defines heaven, and it's not just being a place. Similar to the same idea that a football game is not defined by hanging out with your friends or having beer or having chips or anything like that. The game is defined by celebrating your team. That's the point of it. When you go there, you you root your team on. It is a celebration of that team. And in the same way, heaven is a celebration of our Savior. It is not defined by just being there and being in rest, but is actually defined as an activity of worship. And so he gives us this, paints this picture of people who are worshiping day in and day out in this activity, and they're consumed in the activity of experiencing their Savior. And so in Revelation 4 and 5, you get this incredible buildup of worship, in heaven, and then in five, which is what we're going to cover today, Revelation five, man, people just go crazy. They go crazy over this one idea. You remember growing up, um, or even now, like there's that one song that gets everybody on the dance floor at the wedding. You know, like the wobble is going to get grandma on the dance floor, and grandma's going to show you she's not as old as you think. You like stop, grandma. That moment where everyone is excited. All right. In Revelation 5, there's this one moment that everyone begins to sing. And when I say everyone, it's everyone in heaven and everyone on earth. And they're showing this consummation of worship and this consummation of song. Everyone is mesmerized on this one idea of who Jesus is. And so if you were to look in Revelation chapter 5, if you open up your Bibles and go there... It gives us this incredible picture of worship in heaven. Revelation 5, in the first verse, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? We go on to say in verses 4 and 5, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the the lion from the tribe of Judah, The root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There, God is on a throne. And he has papyrus. He has a document in his right hand. And in this document, there's writing on both sides. And it's sealed with seven seals. These seals were wax melted down, so that one could not break it. And there were seven seals on there. And this document couldn't open it. And what is in this document is like a will, like someone's last will and testament. And yet, for God, this is his will for the earth, how things will pan out in the future. And no one is able to open this document. Imagine if you would, there was a will of a great rich person and no one could execute that will or open it. And there's fear because how will things end up? How will we see life in the future? No one could know it. And there is Jesus. It says in verse 6, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Verse 8. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures The 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Someone ended up taking that scroll. Someone was able to see the will of God. Someone was able to see what God thinks about all of our future. He says it was a lamb. And this lamb was able to take the scroll. And in verse 9, chapter 5, it says that the elders begin to sing. It says in verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then the angels jump in and it says, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then it says of the earth, it says, I heard, this is John now, he says, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Chapter 5 verse 13. And it's crazy because everyone is wiling out in heaven. It says people on earth, under the earth, the angels are bugging out, the elders are jumping to the ground, grandma's there, everybody is going wild. And what are they seeing? A lamb. And what they're seeing is a lamb they said that was slain. And in a crazy and unique way, they are celebrating the slaughter of a lamb. In fact, in Greek, it says a little lamb. And this little lamb that they are worshiping is bringing out worship throughout all of the earth, throughout all the elders and all the angels. What is it about this lamb? that brought about more worship than we saw in chapter 4? What is it about the lamb that made everyone respond? We will not understand the beauty of the lamb if we don't understand the nature of sin and the way that sin works. And far too often, when we say Jesus is our savior, we don't feel the word save. We don't feel the tangible nature of being rescued. And part of it is we don't have some of the same kind of historical elements that the Jewish community had set up for them. So that when they said worthy is the lamb, it had deep implications. In fact, I bet there have been times when we've sung that song or you've heard someone say, worthy is a lamb. You're like, mm-hmm, praise the lamb. And you don't even know lambs. It could have been bulls. We don't really know. But the reality is there is a deep implication to a lamb and that lamb being slaughtered. Now, Many of you know I like to joke around, I like to have fun and all this stuff, and I'll give you analogies and stories, but if you just allow me, let me take you to a classroom just for a second. Amen? Amen. We just want to learn today, Pastor. I know, praise God. But I know, listen, um, I'm going to take the risk of educating just a little bit so that you might be edified, right, that you might see Jesus. My goal is that you see Jesus differently when you walk out of here. And that when the next, time you were, the next time you say, I'm saved, it would have a little bit more of a ring to it. The next time you say, he's my savior, it'd have a little bit more of a ring to it. The next time you say, we say, worthy is the lamb, your hand would extend a little bit more. Because I want you to sing like they did. I want you to feel what they felt. I want you to see what they see. Rituals were very much a part of Jewish culture. But these rituals were recreated based upon one word and this idea of sin. And oftentimes when you think of sin, you think of I did something wrong and God's mad at me. But sin is so much broader than Big old God in the sky is mad at little old me. Sin is a a term that is broad, and it speaks to the reality of all of creation. Sin, human sin, is an act that vandalizes, infects, and defiles God's good world. That God set up a world to look a certain way to be a certain way. He intended relationships to be a certain way. God set it up so fathers would care for kids. He set it up so mothers would be caring. He set it up where relationships would be fulfilling. He set it up where you could tell secrets and they wouldn't tell other people. That's why there's a part of us that gets so upset because we have a human expectation we didn't create in ourselves. It's part of our design. And so the, the natural effect of sin of what happened years ago and if you are, and if today you're a Christ, not a Christian and you're just trying to figure things out, just listen in. Listen into the story, at least the Christian story of humanity, that we feel things should be a certain way, that life should be a certain way. And sin creates fractured relationships. It creates power struggles that lead to violence. It creates systematic evil of all kinds, from sex trafficking across the globe to the landlord that just keeps raising rent. Sin corrupts people, but it corrupts systems. That's why you get so angry. And every time you say it shouldn't be that way, your voice hearkens to heaven. You speak to the world that God intended for things to be. It's part of your DNA and we cannot run from it. And so all of sin corrodes. It defiles. It affects me. It affects you. And we still have this expectation of Eden, of what life could have been like. So where God had only humans and and animals and perfect relationship in Eden. Once you get to Egypt, there's all types of power dynamics at work. And so what God set up were rituals. He set up ways for people to be able to experience him and encounter him. And so in the Old Testament, there was a temple. And this temple was where God's presence would be amongst men. It was his throne room of sorts in the world. It was the very place where heaven and earth met. And God's people would deal with him by going to the temple to meet with God. And as people were corrupted in the past and God would execute judgment, And Adam and Eve were in the garden and he boots them out of the garden because of sin. Where the world becomes corrupted in Genesis and there is a Noah's Ark and judgment of the entire world, God no longer would judge the world in the same way. And what God did was he created a way, a way for his people to still know that there is this thing called sin to still realize that there's something greater and grander and beautiful about the way things were intended to be, but still be in relationship with him. So that he would not have to remove himself from relationship. And so God's alternative, God's alternative way of dealing with sin and rebellion was this thing called animal sacrifice. Now, Uh, you know, I get it if, like, that sounds weird, because that means nothing to us. I mean, we eat burgers and hot dogs, and is hot dog an actual animal? I don't even know what a hot dog is, but we eat meat, so it's not like, like, don't get all bougie now when thinking about an animal being killed for the benefit of something else, unless you're a vegan, and everybody's a vegan now, but... But the reality is that at that time, it was a common practice in the ancient Near East where you would have animal sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of a god. And what God did was he took that same idea, this idea of sacrificing an animal in order to satisfy his wrath, but he used it in a new way. This would no longer be just a volatile, angry God. But this was a God who wanted relationship, who didn't want you to just, he wasn't just mad at you, he wanted you. And what he would do is he would allow for an animal to be killed. And the death of this animal was replacing our death. And it would show the seriousness, not just of sin, but it would show how he's still honoring the world he created. He still wanted to remind people that there was something better than this. And so in the temple, there was created a way that you would sacrifice an animal. You would take that animal, and the priest would cut its throat. And the blood would drain out. And the Bible would say that the, that is where the life is, is in the blood. Numbers 28 says, Each day present two unblemished year-old lambs as a regular burnt offering, Offer one lamb in the morning and one lamb at twilight. In the morning, they killed a lamb, and the people would know it. At night, they would kill a lamb, and the people would know it. And they would have what they call a new moon sacrifice. They would have Passover. They had all these different sacrifices. Lambs were getting taken out all over the place and they would bring what they call an unbl- they would bring their best animal, their best lamb and have him sacrificed. And they would raise this little old lamb up just to be sacrificed. And God when you look in chapter 4 of Revelation they were singing about God's holiness, his purity, It's why we feel God has integrity. It's why we feel God should, when people say only God can judge me, they're alluding to the idea that God is holy, that God sees me for who I really am, that God knows everything about me. And in this, God was setting up a system where he could still accept people but still execute his holiness, his judgment, and not allow sin to go rampant in a community. And so every time that lamb was brought up, the people would know God is serious about sin. Every morning they would see God is serious about sin. On the day of atonement, they would see the lamb being slaughtered, the blood trail. And all throughout the book of Numbers, they would talk about how the blood, you'd place it on different parts of the temple, giving this imagery of blood so that life, a life being poured out, was this imagery of God executing judgment. This ritual was not only seen in the temple, but it was seen in Exodus 12, verses 6 and 7, because the corruption of Egypt led to God sending his messenger, Moses, telling the Pharaoh to let his people go. And in Exodus chapter 12, Verse 6, it says, Take care of them, that being of a lamb, until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And so a man would be taking his little son, holding him up, and he would take the blood of a lamb that they just slaughtered. And he'd be putting up on the doorpost. And in verse 12 and 13, verse 12, On the same night, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I'm going to make things right in this city. I am the Lord. The blood on the doorpost will be a sign of, For you, on the houses where you are, and when I see blood, I'll pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over. And for hundreds of years, they would celebrate the Passover, over. And they would say, the only reason why I woke up this morning and my firstborn son was not dead was because of the pass over. God passed over my house. He passed over my child. But realize this, not every house had blood on the doorpost." A mother woke up that morning and said, no. And there was either a dead son or a dead lamb. But there was something dead everywhere because God was executing judgment. And for years, little boys would be with mom and dad having what they call unleavened bread and a lamb. And this would be their pass. Over meal. Every year, they would remind themselves of the Passover. They'd never forget of the Passover. Now mind you, they had the Passover, but they also had every day, they're walking by the temple seeing another lamb slain, another lamb slain, another lamb slain. They're having the Passover. So lambs were synonymous with sacrifice. And the Passover was this idea that I've been rescued by the blood of that lamb we celebrate. And so, this is crazy, but years later, there was this man that came into town and his name was Jesus. And when he came into town, Amongst the Jews, he began to proclaim himself as the Son of God. And one night he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. But listen, 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 Saints, listen, this is wild, this is wild. On this one night, on the night he was betrayed, on the week of Passover, They went to an upper room, and all the disciples are getting ready for their Passover meal. And they're sitting there, and oftentimes during a Passover meal, there'd be a person presiding, and they'd tell the story of the Passover. And they would take bread and talk about how God (coughs) called the, the Israelites to get out of Egypt and he talked about the unleavened bread and then he would talk about the lamb and he was what they call a presider and that night of the Passover Jesus presided over the Passover meal and what Jesus did it tripped him out he said in the same way he took cup the cup oh on the night on the same night I will pass through uh praise God this is my body he says (laughs) This is my body in 1 Corinthians first, uh, chapter 11. He says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after the supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the verse doesn't say it, but the disciples are tripping because they're like, where's the lamb? Wait, wait, hold, hold, wait, Jesus! Why are we eating you? <laughs> it's Passover week. I've been doing this since I was a little boy. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Because I, 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 my dad told me Passover. He told me about the blood on the door. Where's the lamb? I'm ready to eat the unleavened bread. I'm cool with that. But where's the lamb? And what Jesus was doing was he was restructuring the way they thought about that slaughtered lamb. And he said, that's why he said, do this in remembrance of who? Me. He said, this is my blood. You don't have to put it over a doorpost anymore. Consume it. Me. And he said, in fact, at the end, he says, every time you drink this cup, which is nothing but wine. Every time you eat this bread, it's a symbolic act of my death. I'm that lamb. That lamb you saw slaughtered as a little boy, I'm that lamb. That that lamb you heard about during Passover, I am the lamb. And Jesus would create an ordinance. That would be something we ordinarily do within the church that we do all the time. And this ordinance would be called the Lord's Supper. And what Jesus would want is that when these people gather, we wouldn't just talk about his miracles, though they are incredibly important. We wouldn't just talk about his healing, though it is incredible, the healing of the Lord. We wouldn't talk about just his birth, though his birth was miraculous. We wouldn't talk about just his death, but we would talk about the slaughtering of his life so that we might have life, that he would be our pass over. That's what he wanted us to remember, that we were given life because of him. And so he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim my death. Church, I love our church. I love it because we have made it very clear last week. We told you you our purpose statement. We want to reach people where they are and help them grow. And we started this church for people that don't go to church. We started this church so that wherever you are at today, you can feel the beauty of God's relationship, that you would feel the worship of God, that when people welcome you, that you would feel the connection of God's people, that we would really do love right, and you would feel this is a special place. But every now and then, we just have to remind ourselves Even though God is patient with us, even though God loves us, even though God will deal with us, God wants us to take sin seriously. He wants you to say, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered. He wants you to realize it was a cross he was hung on. How serious is he about sin? Look at the cross. Look at the death of Jesus. See the blood. Why do we take communion? He wants you to see the blood. He wants you to see the body breaking. He wants you to grieve your sin. As he endured that cross day and night, as he was crying out for his father, he was doing that for us so that the destroyer would pass over us. God wanted us to remember his death. Well, man, I want to talk to you about your your, your dreams. I want to help you in your career. I want life to be better. I want you to find that boo and that marriage and have kids and have grandkids. I want you to be that grandmama doing the wobble in 10 years. I want that for you. I do. I want you to. I do. I, I can't wait to see it. But I'm telling you, I want you to have a great life, but I'm more concerned about your eternal life and your eternal life. Your eternal life is based on the Passover. Because what Revelation shows us is that God will not pretend sin is not. Sin is around. God is going to execute judgment. And he executes it on his own son, Jesus. And so we must take sin seriously. And so if you're new today and... You're just kind of figuring out this even that terminology sin and what God wants and then slowly take your time in following Jesus and getting to know the church. Slowly take your time. But at the same time, just have a little bit of urgency because sin is serious. And God is serious about judgment of sin. But for the believer today, In Revelation chapter 4, the angels would cry out, holy, holy, holy. They would cry it out all day. And part of what allows us to enjoy the worth of the Lamb is not just his death, but knowing the character of God, knowing the beauty of God knowing God is going to deal with not just my sin, but sin in every country, in every world. God's going to deal with sin. That's what makes His holiness beautiful. But we want to have holiness of a certain type, that we would have a Christ-centered holiness, a Christ-centered holiness, patterning ourselves to the character and behavior of Christ. What Jesus says, we would say, and how Jesus lives, we would live. But what we would not want is a cultural holiness, pattering ourselves to the character and behavior of other Christians. We diminish the holiness of God, the worth of the lamb, when obedience is based upon the temperature of the room, It's just based upon what I can get away with. And there's a, certain, there's a certain seriousness we should have about sin. There's a level of grieving that we should have when we know we've dishonored our father. And then here's the truth. Did you know that all these lambs were raised oftentimes by little shepherd boys? And one day, dad would take that one lamb that he'd been raising. And the boy would go, no, don't take it. Fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> and he would take the lamb. And he would sacrifice him. He said, son, we are going to honor God. We're going to sacrifice this lamb. We're going to destroy it. And he did that so that his family would realize that God is serious about sin. And just like there were pet lambs that needed to be sacrificed, there are pet sins that need to be sacrificed tonight. You know that one sin. You know that one area? Now, we don't know it's your pet, but you took it in a long time ago. Again, again, if you don't know the Lord, just let us talk. You just chill. But a lot of y'all know what I'm talking about. So, gossip, you little gossip. I know, but it's funny. <laughs> just have certain areas that give us energy or they give us life or they, they tell us we have a better life. And I'm not talking about ignorance I'm, ta- ignorance. I'm talking about awareness. I'm saying you are fully aware this is sin, you're fully comfortable with it, and it's your secret identity. And what I'm telling you today, you know, like I said, normally I like to do all, I mean, I guess I still told some jokes or whatever, but what I'm telling you is this. God put a word on my heart for Bridge Church that he is holy and that he will not play with sin the way you're playing with it because he didn't find it funny when his son was dying on a cross. He didn't find it humorous When he said, Father, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When his son was crying out, he didn't find it humorous. And just as Jesus made a cord to cleanse the temple, you are now that temple. And God wants you to be cleansed. God wants you to be holy. God doesn't want you to play with your sin. God does now, he loves you, but he doesn't want to play. Now, we'll talk about a lot of different things here at Bridge Church, but every now and then we have to pause and see the serious of our sin. Here's how you can keep the severity, the severity of sin in your life. It is what John said in John chapter 1. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus hadn't even died on the cross yet. They didn't even know what he was talking about. But he stepped on the seat, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Be- look at the sacrifice that's gonna happen. Look! What do you want? What did what John wanted us to do? What the angels ended up doing in Revelation, what the elders responded to, what the people on the earth, under earth, into the earth, what they all responded to was the worth of the lamb, the slaughtering of the lamb, that he was taken and cut and blood oozed out on the priest and all the little Jewish kids said, oh man, Jesus is that lamb that died for me. In heaven, this is what people respond most vibrantly to. And tonight, I want to call some of you into a more authentic and honest relationship with God. The word holiness may not even mean anything to you. Think honesty. I want to start being honest with that confession would be part, a more regular part of the overflow of your life in your vernacular. And then when sin happens in the camp, when it happens around you, you make people feel uncomfortable, particularly in the church. That is far As it depends on you, when sin comes close to your temple, you cleanse the temple. Behold the lamb of God. Look at his death and see it, see it. Never let communion from this day forth be just a plaything grape juice and cracker. Behold the blood. Behold the body. popping the celebration will be in heaven. Because you you that that was for me. That you remember that night when you were driving to do that thing that you knew you shouldn't be supposed to do and you put on and you weren't there was no worship music on. It was just you. mature Christians are people that are easily convicted about sin and they also easily celebrate their Savior. See the Lamb tonight. Father, we love you. We pray tonight that we'd feel the weight of the cross. We'd also feel the power of grace. And we know it was your grace that saved us. Precious Lord, we pray that you would use this time. Holy Spirit, make me serious about my sin tonight. Make me serious about my sin tonight. Remind me of what sex was supposed to be like. Remind me about relationships. Remind me what they were supposed to be like. Remind me what friendships were supposed to bring me back, supposed to be like. Bring my heart back to Eden. Help me to remember what life was supposed to be like. God, when I take this communion, let it be real to my life. Let that be real and let my mind and my heart hearken back to the death of your son you are our savior you are my savior and you are my worthy savior